went and saw Bohemian Rhapsody this weekend. Oh, the Queen movie. The Queen movie. I cried more during Bohemian Rhapsody than A Star is Born. Which I also haven't seen yet. Mm. You need to go see some movies. I know. Part of it, I, I might be seeing cards. too many movies. No, I have $45 in movie credit from my mom. What are you mom. doing? I don't know. Yeah, y'all should go see some movies. Yeah. There are lots out that I want to see. There are good ones out right now. Bohemian mm. Rhapsody is wonderful. Like, at first I was a little distracted by Rami Malek's teeth. Sure. But I think... I think that's I think that was supposed to because Freddie Mercury hated his teeth yeah. and felt very um, mm-hmm. subconscious about them and so like I think at first I was like gosh Rami Malek just keeps like doing weird things with his mouth like mm-hmm. but that's part of the character <laughs> yes okay um I just <laughs> I should have gone to see the movie alone okay I love going to see movies with Jordan right I am not a huge crier. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes Jordan is like, what's happening over there? Mm-hmm. Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm just being emotional and <laughs> I need you to le- let me have this moment. You're very overwhelmed. Yes. And so I think I cried for two major reasons. Okay. Number one, Freddie Mercury's life was tragic. It really was. And I knew that. Mm-hmm. Like I knew this was a biopic. An outcast in every way. Right. Yeah. I knew that he died at the age of 45. Mm-hmm. None of this was news to me, mm-hmm. but just seeing it on screen was so deeply sad. To and Rami me. Malek is such a good actor. Oh, he did such a good job. Now, I haven't seen this movie, but I know that he is a very good actor. He did a really good job, and and at the same time, there was just such fun and joyful moments. Mm-hmm. But also, just realizing the premise behind Queen was that yeah, it was music for outcasts. Yeah. It was they they described themselves as a family. They had found each other. It was really just lovely. So all of that made me tearful. And then, do you ever just... The second reason I cried. Do you ever just, like, cry at how talented people are? Constantly. Like, like I feel <laughs> immense things when I watch people doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not a thing that is innately entertaining to mm-hmm. me. Like, I just love seeing people live out their passion or mm-hmm. their gift or whatever. So so this is not a spoiler because this is a biopic mm-hmm. and this happened. Mm-hmm. But there's a scene at Live Aid, that concert from the 80s, and it's toward the end of the film and Jordan and I are sitting there and I literally am tearful while singing in the theater, which I think is why Jordan was like, what is What's happening? happening? We are the champions. <laughs> You lost your mind. (laughs) In the best way. I just just was crying over how talented these men Mm. were and how sad that they couldn't make more music together. Like, Mm -hmm. I was just deeply in a place. Yeah. And Jordan was like, I mean, Jordan also thought the movie was great. And Jordan can't judge because he cries at the end of Les Mis every time. Oh, sure. Which, like, I get it, but also every time. Is Mm -hmm. that necessary? We know what's happening. (laughs) But... I understand that if I don't want to be judged harshly, I cannot judge harshly. All I'm saying is, go see Bohemian Rhapsody. And then you get to like listen to the soundtrack, yeah. which is just Queen singing Queen songs. Pretty good. I'm way more likely to see that and care about that than the Taron Edgerton, Elton John movie, Rocketman. Yes, which I also will go see. I'll see it. What are we supposed to... What is that man from? Not Elton John. Taron uh, Edgerton. Uh-huh. He's from Kingsman. Why is he a thing now? I don't know. And remember on Unpopular Opinions several months ago now, when we talked about actors that we just irrationally hate? Yes. He's one for me. Okay. 
I can't stand him. I can see from the look in your eyes. I have, and I... <laughs> you can just see the glimmer, glimmer of rage. Yes. And I don't know why. There's no reason for me to dislike this man, but I hate him. Oh. I can't stand him. He's going to be the new Robin Hood. I know. I've seen the trailers, and it looks terrible Jordan, because he's in it. But Jordan's like, but guess what? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go see that. Well, it's like every King Arthur movie. Like, yeah. None of them are good. Yeah. I've never seen a good King Arthur movie, but I'm going to see every one. Yeah, that's what Jordan said. Ugh. So he'll go see it. But I'm the Elton John movie, I just want to see because I want to be sung at by Elton John. Yeah, but instead you're going to be sung at by Taron Egerton. <laughs> episode 197 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and I am not decorating for Christmas. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. But you know what? Tis the season. You know what? We decorated the store for the Mm -hmm. holidays on Sunday, and I know, because I am one of them. I get it. Like, I know we want to wait until after Thanksgiving, but in retail, you cannot. You can't. And so we did it yesterday, or okay. Sunday. Target did it November 1st. Okay, I didn't realize that. Which makes sense to me, although, if you go to Target often enough, you will find that they are like sneakily putting Christmas stuff out in October still. Yes. And so it's like spiders on one side of the aisle and then <laughs> elves on the other. Yeah. Which is really disturbing. It is. It is disturbing to watch a store transform from Halloween to Christmas, because those are two very different holidays. It's like a metamorphosis. Um, the caterpillar to the butterfly, but like the middle portion where the animal liquefies its body into a cocoon. Ew. Yeah. Gross. I know. So, <laughs> tis the season. Tis the season. Um, I do want to remind our listeners yes. that we've got our 200th episode coming up in God. just a couple weeks. It is bananas. It, yeah. I don't know how we got here. Why are people still listening to us talk? And more than ever. I love it though. Yeah. I'm super grateful. I don't Me too. understand. Oh, I don't understand at all. <laughs> and people are like, we just love hearing you guys talk about stuff. And I'm like, but why? It's because they love us. I guess. They really I, like us. They really like us. They really like us. No, and I appreciate it. It's just baffling to me. Yeah. Um. So because of our 200th episode, we are going to be reading and responding to and answering listener questions. And so I would like you to send me your questions about anything life small business books small business life in the south yeah life in general or life in general yep like i'm okay as silly as you want to go as serious as you want to go i'm here for it we've gotten a few from our announcement last week um and i'm happy to have all of them Uh, a couple of them were very very good so excited to go through those um but anything you want to ask us or anything you want us to talk about it can just be conversation topics too please email those to me at podcast at bookshelfthomasville.com. And ironically, mm-hmm. today's episode comes from, we can't decide if it was an email or a DM on Instagram. Yeah, we can't find record of this, but we both have memory. But we're sure this happened. And so this actually is very interesting given our topic. <laughs> um, what did you call it? Journalism porn. Journalism porn. Um, this is a, <laughs> let's call it a contentious title here. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I don't know that that should be the label on the episode. Yeah, I'm not going to title it that. (laughs) Here's the thing. I was a journalism major. Mm -hmm. 
a liberal arts major mm-hmm. with an emphasis in journalism because my tiny little college did not have a, a journalism major on its own. And I was an English major and ran our satire paper. That's like mm-hmm. The Onion. Like The Onion, yeah. Um, so we both have kind of these journalism-adjacent backgrounds. I have loved journalism since I fell in love with Tom Brokaw at go. the age of whatever. Um, so the term journalism porn really rings true for me. Like, I love watching... I even wanted to talk briefly about, like... I love literal movie. Like I loved the movie Spotlight. Mm-hmm. I was so thrilled when it won the Oscar. Mm-hmm. I love Good Night and Good Luck, mm-hmm. that George Clooney mm-hmm. movie. I love the movie State of Play with Russell Crowe and oh, Rachel McAdams. Wow, yeah. I own that movie on DVD. Like I love that movie. You'd um, be way more interested in a Clark Kent, Lois Lane reporter movie for sure than Superman. Than Superman. Movie. <laughs> Somebody make that movie, and I'm here for it. It was a show with Dean yeah. Cain and yes. Terry Hatcher, and I did watch that show. Was it? <laughs> episode of that show with frogs probably that's all i remember from my childhood (laughs) watching of that show i need to google that um no i i love all the president's men Mm -hmm. i had a crush on dustin hoffman forever like what was the philip seymour hoffman movie which one i feel like there was one that was about journalism and now i'm making that up i don't know well i did love philip seymour hoffman he died on my birthday um (laughs) well so sorry i took a turn anyway i love journalism movies I love journalism. Mm-hmm. This is a timely topic. It is. Like, we just got a notification on our phones mm-hmm. that, like, CNN is... Is suing the president. Yeah. Or the White House. <laughs> Super normal. The White House. Yeah. Super normal. Um, normal times. But they're suing him over press credentials. Mm-hmm. I love CJ from... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The West, West Wing. Wing. So, like, I, I feel like we have all these great um, cultural touchstones. For sure. And yet, when prep, prepping for this episode, there aren't a lot of, there's not a lot of devotion to books about journalism. No. Tangent, because I remembered the Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. Yes. It's um, Almost Famous, where he plays music yes. journalist Lester Banks. Also a great movie. Yeah. Also a great movie. Yeah. Top 10 for me. Yes. I love that movie. Yeah. But he plays a music journalist in yes. that movie. Okay. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Which is tangential to what we're talking about, but it counts. Um. So- Another, Another side, side note. <laughs> Another side this is what note. People love. <laughs> Another side note. The actor, you know, the guy who plays the young yes. man in Almost mm-hmm. Famous. I don't think you really see him in anything ever. He's in one of those crime shows now. What? Yeah. He's in First Man with Ryan Gosling, and he showed oh. up, and Jordan was like, "Why are you gasping?" And I was like, "Because that's the kid from Almost Famous." He was in. I watched it. What was it? The, the Mark Harmon one. No. CSI. You know, I don't remember, but I'm going to look this up. <laughs> You're going to figure it out I just am. like you did with Phil. Uh-huh. 20 minutes I'm from now. I'm actually really proud of you for not Googling that. Yeah. Like, that was just it your brain. It came to me. Yeah. You got to trust your I'm brain, guys, really or it's Oh, die. he was in Gone Girl. Yes. He was in Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. He just shows See, up. See, it things. came to me. That was amazing. I'm telling you, you got to let your brain do the work. That was amazing. Okay, so not a crime show, but Gone Girl, yes. he played one of the cops. Yes. That kid just shows up in just weird, random places. And good for him. He I know. had that weird voice. Yes. Because he was like 12, but talked like a 30-year-old. Yes. With his like weird, deep voice. But then, as a 30-year-old, he doesn't really seem to have a super deep voice. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Almost Famous. I, You're right. That is journalism porn. It's a different kind. Very different kind of journalism. But, but, but yes. Yeah. Okay. And maybe the, the kind that I'm more into. That is just kind of research and... Um, immersion in a subject yeah. that is more nonfiction, essayistic writing than 
Just the facts, ma'am. Yeah. Rather than... I literally get chills. I think it's at the end of State of Play when they just... Or maybe it's Spotlight too. Actually, maybe it's all journalism movies. When they just do the, here's what happened after. Oh, well, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I am here for any time. Like, we sat through First Man. Mm-hmm. Which is excellent, by the way. And didn't get, I don't think, a lot of buzz. But no, it, it should have. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I love Ryan Gosling. Gosling. Like, at the end of that movie, I was waiting for them to show the real Neil Armstrong. Mm-hmm. And I think they finally did. But my point is, like, I was wait. I just love the true aspect mm-hmm. of those stories. No, in journalism movies, when they show the the newspapers printing, do you know what oh, I mean? Like yeah. that artistic shot. I taught a whole class on yes. this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I just love it so much. <laughs> I get chills every time it comes on the screen. I just love it. So. So, we have compiled some books adjacent to this theme of journalism. Yeah, which um, we did get a. I promise we got I, a comment. I'm about sure this. we did. I think we like made an offhand comment months ago, and somebody was like, "Could you do a whole episode about that?" Yeah. And then here we are. Yes. But I didn't take note of who sent us that. So thanks for this idea. Um, because I love talking about journalism, like really, especially we live in such a fascinating yeah. time for this topic. And more on that in a, in a bit. Yeah. But um, so we made lists. Yeah, we made lists. Um, one that's on both of our lists that I think is a good way to get us started is the classic Truman Capote study in cold blood. And this one, I think we really want to talk about because obviously it's a classic. Uh-huh. If you haven't read this, by the way, worth your time. It's like, time. Not yeah. all classics are worth your time. <laughs> That okay for me to say absolutely <laughs> not all classics are worth your time this one is yeah um, um, it is the grandmother of true crime yes true crime and specifically kind of this creative nonfiction. exactly because i think in cold blood is this great look at what is journalism and what is reporting uh-huh. versus what is narrative nonfiction? exactly and in cold blood is really yeah the mother, it is the latter yeah of of narrative nonfiction mm-hmm. and Truman Capote came under fire from journalists, for sure. Yes. And from fact checkers who were like, well, how can you know that? Right. And he was accused of not taking careful notes mm-hmm. in interviews because he like had developed this technique to just have perfect recall of interviews, which is obviously not true. <laughs> um, and part of that is just that he was taking non-essential liberties mm-hmm. with facts and extrapolating and suggesting to craft a story to craft a story which is interesting this obviously is not a journalistic work but georgia hunter Mm -hmm. um mentioned that part of the reason she wanted her book we were the lucky ones to be classified as fiction Uh even though it is very much true Uh to her family she wanted to craft dialogue right and she felt like the moment she started crafting dialogue she couldn't call it nonfiction anymore yes yeah and I think that's interesting because In Cold Blood is technically nonfiction narrative nonfiction it is um and this gets to a hard the heart of a big debate Mm -hmm. in just nonfiction writing yes something I think about a lot something I've talked about with my other writer friends with Kelsey with our professor Ned Stuckey French um what what facts are facts and yeah. which facts matter. Yeah. Um, and so there's a play on Broadway right now called The Lifespan of a Fact, starring Daniel Radcliffe and Bobby Cannavale. Which he's I, everywhere, by the way. He is. Um, but it's based on this book by John Degata and Jim Fingal. John Degata in 2003 wrote this essay. I forget the title right now, but it was about a young man in Las Vegas who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And it was him kind of immersing himself in the suicide culture of Las Vegas and working for a suicide hotline and like just figuring out what this world is to kind of get into this kid's head mm-hmm. um, wrote this piece it would not be published um, 
later, years later, another magazine said, no, we'll take it. And then they fact-checked it, and it was, like, all kinds of things that uh-huh. would not hold up to journalistic scrutiny. Right. And Degata's whole argument is, well, it's not journalism. Uh-huh. It's narrative nonfiction. I'm crafting a story. Does it matter that he fell for eight seconds when I said nine? I don't think so, because number nine is more interesting given these other patterns that occur in the uh-huh. in the story. Does it matter that he fell that extra second? I don't think so. But then Jim Finkel, who was his fact checker, said, no, that absolutely matters. Yeah. You can't say it was nine seconds when it was only eight seconds. Gosh, and it's so hard. Maybe this is life as an INTJ slash mm-hmm. Enneagram 5. Mm-hmm. But I definitely am like, no, check the facts. But wait, this is a creative story. Like I can totally see two sides because yeah. I love the work that narrative nonfiction writers uh-huh. do. Like I love essay collections. I love long form Um, magazine articles, things like that. But I know that that is a very different art form and a different structure from a a Washington Post story. But I think we're watching those lines get blurry. Um, And and the problem is that the people who do it, the writers and the editors, typically know what they're doing. mm -hmm. And the general public can't tell the difference anymore. That's right. That's what I was going to say. Like even, for example, if you go, like my homepage I think is the New York Times. Like, mm-hmm. um, So you, I go to newyorktimes.com and what pops up, if you just look at headlines, mm-hmm. you think, okay, all of these are news stories. Right. But you see quickly, if you, if you look, uh-huh. you see editorial, editorial, opinion. 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 And look, I'm in very intrigued by this world we're living in where most of what is at the top of the fold, uh-huh. at least on a computer screen, is opinion. Is opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I Just from my... Or even analysis. Yes, which is so different from yeah. basic reporting. But you're right. Like I think a narrative nonfiction writer obviously knows. Like that writer mm-hmm. knew nine seconds, eight seconds, it doesn't matter. That's not my focus. Right. My focus is the overall story. Right. But a general public reader might read that and think, well, this was what really happened. Exactly. And so the play is kind of all about this debate. Yeah. Um, Both men were there for opening night, and I thought that was so cool. That is cool. Um, I heard a great NPR interview with the cast of the show. Um, I'm going to try to find it and link it in the show notes because it has... It encapsulates this whole argument, Mm -hmm. and it's a very timely argument um, because we're not talking about alternative facts here we're talking about like non-essential details that don't really matter but that might matter to somebody who really cares about the essential details yeah um so it's it's hard it's very hard i just find the whole that whole discussion yeah really fascinating me too and really you really have to ask yourself like in fact for example, I listen pretty much every day to The Daily, uh-huh. um, which is the New York Times kind of podcast. Yeah. It's like 20 or 30 minutes long, and it's kind of just supposed to prep you for the day. Like, right. here's what's happening in the news. Um, and I will say it's a little bit different from NPR's version of this because I've noticed that The Daily kind of focuses in on one topic. Mm-hmm. But I think this is fascinating because um, I also listened to the podcast Pantsuit Politics uh-huh. and I was watching an Instagram story they were doing and they were saying like um, the Daily had done this piece about like why this particular candidate won in the midterm elections and they were arguing that he won because of um, 
because of healthcare. Mm. And like that was really the whole emphasis of their episode. And Pantsuit Politics was like, that's interesting because This American Life did a whole episode about that candidate. And according to them, he really won, and their research and their deep dive, Mm -hmm. he won because of immigration. Mm. And so I say all that to say that the one of the hosts of Pantsuit Politics said, just remember when you're listening to these things that you're listening to, these podcast episodes, these news reports, Mm -hmm. this is analysis. Right. And you're only really getting a part of it. Don't take this. And like for me, as somebody who is trying to figure out how much news they consume, I look at the daily as, well, this is my news intake. Well, no, it's analysis intake. Exactly. Anyway, I could talk about this all day long. Yeah, no, I could too. And like we are, this is going to be a tangent heavy episode and I think that's okay. (laughs) I think this is also related to the common backhanded praise of nonfiction that I've heard recently of... Mm -hmm. It reads like fiction. Yes, which drives Kelsey bananas. It drives me bananas too. <laughs> Not as much as her, but it drives me absolutely bananas because what does that mean? Yeah. I think when people are thinking of nonfiction, they're thinking of just the facts reporting. Yes. They're thinking of textbooks. Yes. Like a history book. And that's not what nonfiction is. Right. Um, and I think the uh, sadly, the assumption that is frequently made about nonfiction is boring. Uh-huh. And so anytime nonfiction, like edu- I'll use educated yeah. as an example. Um, that's the one everybody says, like, it reads like fiction. Right. Well, it's literally her life. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's, What you're saying is it reads like it's well-written. Yeah. Or <laughs> it reads interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, a well lot... Well-crafted. Yes. And well-crafted nonfiction is generally generally interesting. interesting. Yeah. I dare you to read In Cold Blood. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and not be interested. Yeah. And and don't think that it's interesting because he's, he's twisted it and made it more fictional. No. no this is... Yes, it's narrative. But it is nonfiction. Mm-hmm. It's based on this real, these real life events right. and happenings. A side note: the movie is also great. Yeah. Also, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. Yeah. There you <laughs> Full go. Circle. Okay. <laughs> um, another one that I think of mm-hmm. frequently is All the President's Men. Yeah. This is another Classic. one with a great movie, but the book is fantastic. I will never forget. Um, probably two or three years ago now, Sterling, one mm-hmm. of our former employees, like he like made it his goal to read um, mm-hmm. All the President's Men because he'd seen the movie but hadn't read the book. Um, I think again that one is probably really timely mm-hmm. right now, especially Jordan and I went through a phase. I don't know if you listened to this, but um, Slow Burn, the podcast by Slate, um, they did like six episodes on Nixon. Okay. Um, which we found fascinating. Now they're doing episodes on Clinton. Okay. So they're following kind of impeachment situations. Yeah. Um, but, Timely. Yeah. But All the President's Men, I think, just holds up as, I think people assume like romanticized mm. journalism and journalistic integrity. But I don't think it is romanticized. I think in the book you for sure see, no, a lot of this was boring research. Right. <laughs> like the movie made it this really high stakes, right. you know, intense adventure right. story but it's also just a couple of nerds exactly <laughs> doing their research well, like truman capote was afraid to do his research so he brought harper lee with him yeah so harper lee would do the the boring work exactly the boring and he work. compiled eight thousand pages of notes yeah. but like that was the boring part yeah. and then it was telling the interesting story so yeah, yeah absolutely the the behind the curtain part of journalism yes which, by the way, is just the behind the curtain of a lot of jobs, uh-huh. like of independent bookstore ownership. Uh-huh. Guess what? Behind the scenes. Just compiling lots of data. <laughs> it's some really boring stuff. Yeah. 
Um, a couple of other books that came to my mind that are less classic. Mm-hmm. Um, the two of these focus on TV journalism and TV news. Amanda Wakes Up is a book that was written by a reporter and a TV personality, um, which sometimes I kind of roll my eyes at, mm-hmm. but actually I think she used her expertise to write this really fun look of book of fiction mm-hmm. um, about what it's like to host a morning show. Um, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Well, the reason I recommend it, it's still on my TBR list, but Suzanne, one of our mm-hmm. faithful, loyal customers and super well-read raves about this book just as, yes, it's a quick, fun read, mm-hmm. but it's also really eye-opening to mm-hmm. the world of TV journalism. Cool. So Amanda wakes timely, up. timely given all the turnover we've had in the past yeah, couple years. exactly. Well, and you, like, I, even pre, like, Matt Lauer being a skis, I used to be fascinated by... Um, morning news shows and evening news shows and how important ratings played and like Mm -hmm. NBC versus CBS and and great disservice done to Ann Curry yes all that stuff is fascinating to me so Amanda wakes up I think I would call her Ann Coulter no (laughs) I'm (laughs) so sorry Ann (laughs) no Um, so Amanda wakes up if you also find those things fascinating I think Amanda wakes up would be that sounds really good similar Rise and Shine Mm. uh, is even more fictional um, but it's by Anna Quinlan who actually herself uh, used to write lots of columns Mm -hmm. and and newspaper uh, newspaper essays and things like that Um, but Rise and Shine is about a morning TV show host I love Anna Quinlan I haven't read everything she's ever written but close Um, I think she's fantastic and I really liked this novel of hers when it very first came out it's a great backlist title Mm. Um, so Rise and Shine by Anna Quindlin. That sounds super good. Do you remember a book that came out, I think like three years ago, called So You've Been Publicly Shamed? Yes. John yes. Ronson? Yes. So that's tangential to this, right? Because it's Adjacent not about for sure. journalism, but it is about the online media culture. Yes. Um, and how that plays out and how it has um, influenced, I think, how we report. Yeah. And how we respond to reporting and how things can turn on a dime like yeah like one minute i won't one of the stories he talks about is this woman who like tweeted something terrible and she gets on a plane and right. when she gets off the plane she's lost her job that's like, right <laughs> no exactly and so like that book came out three years ago and i think is still very timely yes in a world where sometimes a book has a shelf life of six months yes if that yeah um this one still has a lot to say mm-hmm. i think um, it's still relevant mm-hmm um, I also love The Imperfectionists, mm. which if Amanda Wakes Up and Rise and Shine are a little bit more TV heavy, mm-hmm. and even, um, did you ever see Rachel McAdams and Harrison Ford in Morning Glory? No. <laughs> I went and saw that at Miracle 5 in Tallahassee. Oh, Miracle 5. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, so I, that is a cheesy little movie, but Amanda Wakes Up and Rise and Shine maybe fit more in the, uh, kind of a little bit more commercial fiction, uh-huh. really fun fiction. The Imperfectionist is a little bit more literary. Sure. And what I love about it is it follows one international newspaper, but each short story in the novel is like a different news reporter, a different section of the okay. paper. I adored this book. When that it came sounds... out. It's another yeah. good backlist title. I remember when it came out. Yeah. It's got this really striking, I think, striking cover. Um, it's called The Imperfectionists, and... Like so many books we have referenced before, it's it's a novel, but it's really a, a bunch of short stories. Mm-hmm. So you could easily pick this one up and put it down. Yeah. I feel like I'm in a major reading slump right now, and a book like this would be perfect because yeah. you could read a chapter and be done with it for a minute and then pick it back up later. I love that. Um, so The Imperfectionists. We're living in a world where 
news is so important, mm-hmm. but also so dangerous. Yes. And also so hard to regulate both in its production and in our consumption of it. Uh, yeah. Um, I think especially that. And so I think part. we wanted to talk about that. Yeah. We wanted to talk about some of the parts of news and journalism that we really love. Yeah. And that we still enjoy and find great pleasure in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope we've done that. I hope so too. I hope we've done it a service. I, I think the journalism that is full of integrity mm-hmm. and trying really hard mm-hmm. to give you the facts and even to some extent to craft a good story yeah. versus the rise of like 24-7 cable news mm-hmm. where we're just yelling at each other. And just spin, 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 All spin. day long. Yeah. Um, that is exhausting to me. But I think that that journalism that we really picture when we watch classic journalism movies mm-hmm. or when we read some of these books, that's the journalism I still have a lot of faith in. Did you see Frost Nixon? No. The movie? No, I didn't see that movie. Okay. It's really good. I wanted to. I um, didn't see it. And I saw it years and years ago, but it's really good. And this, when you were talking about just this kind of idealistic um, researcher, yeah. just trying to piece together the facts, like I thought of David Frost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just uncovering the story kind of accidentally. Yeah. Um, in a really interesting way. And I think that still happens. There's yeah. this great picture of um, the New York Times reporters who broke the story on... Um, how Donald Trump accumulated his wealth. Yeah. And there's this great picture, this image of those reporters like standing around. Of course, the world has changed. It's not like a typewriter anymore. Right. It's like a, a couple <laughs> of iPads. Like they're all kind of standing around, like making last minute tweets. I still think there are people who are really trying to to tell accurate stories and to craft worthy reporting. I do think that still exists. Absolutely. And Hats off to those people. Yeah. We could not survive this world without them. We need them. We're at the bottom of the barrel again. Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin. Oh, we have cast our lots with all the devils of sin. Oh, my God. Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you so much to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel from their album Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content, check us out on patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. You can also find us at our website at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com for web-only content, a full back catalog of our show, with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. I said a couple weeks ago, I always try to be careful about what stories I share here, Uh because I never want to shame any customers or anything like that. Um, But we did have we have a customer who calls frequently to get books shipped to them Mm -hmm. and this particular customer um doesn't trust the u.s postal service okay and so we have to like work to ship their books via like ups or fedex okay um but my favorite thing that happened this week is that um 
they called Olivia to kind of work their way through this process, ordering multiple Metallica books. And then um, asking, or just kind of, I guess, joking maybe, I hope, joking with Olivia, like, let's go to a Metallica concert together. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just love this picture of, like, this person who doesn't trust the U.S. Postal Service but loves Metallica. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I have a very clear image of this person. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.